My name is Jamie Piles. I joined Samaritan in December of 1996. We were homeschooling our kids and we were already thinking outside the world's box, if you will. And I saw a little tiny classified ad about this new kind of idea I'd never heard of before. My first reaction was, that's the kind of thing that we would do, isn't it? And so I finally called the number, talked to them, and the more I asked them questions, the more I liked their answers. I'm the Chocolate Knox, Pastor Toby to my right, and Not Gabe is here. <laughs> not Gabe. Not Gabe. Not Gabe. No, we'll get to our special Man, guest. Gabe's like never here anymore. No, I know. And you know, we haven't been here either, Harley. <laughs> it's been so weird. Okay, I got to talk about this real quick. I have been in production mode, just filming yeah, you have. and editing. And I don't know if it's day or night sometimes because I've been. Right. And I'll tell you something, being in the 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 bunker editing. Yeah. I don't care about what's going on. Yeah. I have right. I have no cares. Right. And it feels weird to come out and read the news and like this is crazy town. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and I, I don't go, I'm gonna be yeah. honest with you. I yeah. don't miss any of got it. A more, <laughs> got a little more sympathy for Biden. I, it, it, <laughs> maybe a little bit. You know. What's going on? I just wish people would just. You What's know, going it, on? It doesn't matter how many mistakes he makes. I don't know why Republicans keep sharing it. Like they just keep uh, Biden did this, Biden did that. Yeah. It doesn't matter anymore. Everybody right. knows the man's not here. Yeah, it yeah. just doesn't. Like you saw him the, with the you saw him with the king, the, with the king, the king. Today. The king is being so merciful to us. Oh, come on, come on, Joe. <laughs> come on, come on, Joe. This come way, on, Joe. Joe. He doesn't talk to us, Joe. That you should know better than that, Joe. You've done this numerous times. It's so oh my sad. Goodness. He doesn't and it remember. doesn't matter. Hey, but you're working on stuff for. The pub. That's right. The Fight Laugh oh. Feast pub is coming along. We are we are cranking this summer on content. Uh, this the pub is the new name for our club. That's and, right. Um, and so we got content that we're trying to pump in there. You guys have been filming the cooking show. So okay, we did. We, we got a show on body armor yep. with Gabe called This America. We've been talking about that. So he does body armor yep. with Armor Republic. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And then. Something weird. He goes and does this show on Transformers. Yeah. And you would think like, which one you want to see? Body armor with guns going off and or Transformers. Or Transformers. Yeah. And it's like, Transformers is pretty interesting can't, too. Can't pick. Can't it, pick. It's really good. And so yeah. we have that. And then cooking. Oh. Cooking. Oh, the cooking shows. Yeah. Okay. So and, and, good. And, and this is dropping. Uh, so I, as soon as the app is approved inside the app store, which I think is supposed to be any day now, okay. we'll have the first episode of This America. I just finished one on Maddox. I'm doing the sound mix on that. And then I'm jumping to the first cooking show. So every week after right. that, we'll be dropping a new, new show shows. inside there. So if you're not yet a club member, sign up today. It's, it's, it's going live soon. And your, and your app that you already have, you have the Fight Laugh Feast app. It'll automatically update and you'll have the new one, the brand spanking new one. Yes. Making and for you. Uh, before we begin, I uh, want to remind you that this year our Fight Laugh Feast conference is at the Ark Encounter in Kentucky on the politics of six-day creation. Yes. The politics of six-day creation is the difference between a fixed standard of justice and a careening standard of justice, which is not really a standard of justice at all. The difference between corrosive relativism that creates mobs and anarchy and the freedom of objectivity, truth, and due process. The politics of six-day creation establishes the authority and the sufficiency of God's word for all of life. From what is a man, what is a woman, when does human life begin? And then, of course, how is human society best organized? So come here 
Uh, Ken Ham built the ark. Well, you know, not you know, not like Noah. <laughs> the new built, Noah, Noah two But okay. he's Noah 2.0. <laughs> uh, Pastor Doug Wilson will be giving two talks. Dr. Ben Merkel will be there. Dr. Gordon Wilson of yeah. Riot and the Dance fame. We have Dr. Joe Rigney coming out. Um, I'll be giving a speech, even though I'm not a doctor like the rest of them. And we'll be having uh, the a live the, show, a live show. Yeah, uh, which we don't know what's about yet, but it's going to be. Awesome. Gabe's going to surprise us. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be like, guess who I invited, guys? <laughs> Anyways, mark your calendars. October 11th through the 14th as we fight, laugh, and feast with beer and psalms the first night, our amazing lineup of speakers, rowdy Christian merch, a Sabbath feast to wrap everything up, maybe even an infant baptism while we're at it. (laughs) Yes, Toby, you have to read that part. That's what it says. Yeah. Mandatory. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. If my elders say I can. Visit fightlaughfeast.com for more information. Sign up today with hundreds uh, more who have already signed up. We're really excited. Grateful to have with us in the studio. Not Gabe actually has a name. His name is Pastor Yuri Brito. He's pastor at Providence uh, CREC in Pensacola, Florida. Um, author, founder of the Kyperian Commentary. It just says Kypecom. Is that how do you actually yep. call it? Kypecom? Yep. Oh, okay. Oh. Kypecom. It's like me when I call the, uh, I call it, you know, Dutch Brothers. Okay, and you call it Dutch Bros? And the kids call it Dutch Bros. Yeah, right. And they, they say, Dad, it's called Dutch Bros. And I say, no, it's, it's Dutch, that's short for brothers. Right. Yeah, anyways. Kipcom, <laughs> board member at Theopolis, senior fellow of CCL, and he is, you're the current presiding minister of Athanasius Presbyterian? Athanasius Presbyterian, yeah. Oh my goodness, we're like in, this is this is like holy ground. <laughs> it's been two years since we had you on the show too, right? Yeah, it's been a while. We were in uh, Monroe, Louisiana. At the for council. The, for council, that's right. That's right. And uh, and was that was before you were presiding minister, or you were already a presiding minister? Then? I had just been elected. Oh wow, I didn't even know that at the time. Yeah, wow. So, I mean, he's like, you like just cranking up through the, yeah. the echelons of the CREC, like pretty much. We, we were at church yesterday and I had no idea you were going to be here. And I look up, I'm sermon up, you know, pork shoulder because we had a picnic outside. Yeah. The floor was getting done. All the churches were there. Yep. Um, and outdoor I look, church. yeah, outdoor church. And I look up and I'm like, is that Yuri? Pastor Yuri. In the flesh? In the flesh. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Good to see you, man. So, um, to be here. Yeah. Great to have you back. Great, you. great to have you in the studio in Moscow. Yeah. Um, and, um, and you're here in town because you are uh, the main uh, speaker for uh, the New St. Andrews College Called Conference. Um, by the way, I, I don't know if we've advertised this on the show before. Like but, once or twice. But, but Called Conference is a conference for high schoolers that New St. Andrews College puts on every summer. There's actually two weeks of it. Yeah. So you're, I mean, this is day one, bro. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and so, but you're getting ready for, for two weeks, uh, coming full bore at high school students. Um, this is kind of like, I, I describe it as like, this is like worldview camp, um, you know, worldview boot camp. Right. Um, and, um, and we bring a special speaker in, um, you know, and several of other others of us in the community give talks throughout the week. Um, and of course there's some games and activities sprinkled in yeah. and everything else, but it's a but pretty high octane instruction. And so you're the main speaker. Um, tell us about what you're talking about this week. Yeah. The call conference has, has that flavor. It's sort of a boot camp. So you're immersing these 15, 18 year olds. We'll have around 400 of them yeah. into some very wow. deep theological subjects. And so they're going to be receiving um, good instruction biblically and worldview. They're going to be taught how to live faithfully in light of the, the principalities and powers of, of our age. And they're going to hopefully be encouraged to have courage in an age of uncourageous 15 to 18 year olds. Hmm. And so this year 
the topic that, that I've chosen is a topic that I've been concentrating for some time on, and it has to do with this uh, remarkable contrast between uh, priesthoods. And uh, the primary passage for that is Ephesians 6, where Paul sort of ends in this motivational speech to the church of Ephesus, speaking specifically about describing the armor of God and the, the, the unique nature of each feature of the armor of God and how they build on one another. And in the end, it, it, it concludes with this benediction where Paul says, be of courage. This is who God has dressed you to be, mm. a new priest in a dark world, a false priest. And so that's my encouragement to these uh, 400 students these next Wait, 14 right. days. Okay, hold on. So, so that sounds really great and everything. I'm but, just going to get my... Oh, but, 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 my but you said list. priesthood, okay. and then you talked about the armor of God. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, everybody knows that's completely different stuff. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, no, that, that, that's... You, how'd you get there? That is true. Okay, good point. <laughs> One of the primary assumptions I've always had when I, when I think through the apostolic writings as they're addressing churches and other scenarios is that the apostolic first language has always been the Old Testament. And they use their first language to communicate their languages to each individual church. And so the apostles are very much steeped in the language, vocabulary, grammar, rhythm, and everything else in the, 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 the unique flavor environment of the Old Testament, mm. which means their vocabulary doesn't come from extracurricular literature. It comes specifically mm. from the only language they know. It's their first language, and they speak it very fluently. So they didn't unhitch it? <laughs> oh, just trying to figure out. Oh, that's very good. <laughs> no, it didn't Stanley their way through the process. Yeah. And, and so what, what the Apostle Paul specifically is doing, he's using the language that's familiar to them, and he's addressing the church in that familiar language. And so the, the general consensus in the scholarly world is that the Apostle Paul is staring through prison cell into a Roman soldier that may be guarding him. And he's saying, I'm building this armory right. image from you that. you got the sword of the you spirit. Got the sword. And right. you got the, the shield of faith. And Okay. That's right. But what happens is if you look at the, the image of a Roman soldier who sort of thrives in barbarism and thrives in ungodliness and thrives in the pursuit and the defense of an unholy empire— the Apostle Paul had something more noble in mind, and what he was doing, he was building a, a, a bond of loyal priests who were loyal to a holy empire founded by Jesus Christ. And so what Paul was looking at is he was staring at the image that was most common to, the, the, to his own vocabulary, which is the image of the priest that you find described in Exodus and in Leviticus. And mm. if you look at through the Old Testament, you're going to see that, that language is very consistent, mm. and that the language of priesthood is something that has been very much ingrained in the very fabric of the Scriptures, beginning in the formation of Adam and continuing all the way to the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who is our true high priest. So this, is that just one talk, or are you going to—is that, is that <laughs> the main talk, and then all of them are going to fit inside of— I'm going to be developing those uh, verses 10 through 20, Ephesians 6, developing that into five different themes— Focusing specifically in the beginning, the first talk tonight will emphasize that the evangelical church has been very fearful of recognizing that the devil is at work in the life of the church and in, in tempting God's faithful priests. And so one of, the, one of the themes that I'll be addressing is that the Christian needs to stop being fearful of addressing the embodiment of evil, which is Satan himself, the great accuser. And we need to take a more courageous stand in, in protecting the true and holy and beautiful that God has given us. How, how has the church shown that fearfulness, as you see? 
the church has, has shown its fearfulness in uh, certainly three ways, but it has shown its fearfulness in defending the authority of the scriptures, mm. has shown its fearfulness in protecting the, um, the good of Western civilization, and has shown its fearfulness in its piety towards the culture. So in, mm. in terms of protecting the, the authority of the scriptures, the, the culture has been, and the evangelical church included, has um, essentially affirmed the scriptures in the background. It's their background music, but what's on display is anything but. And mm. so while the church is displayed in the background for people to pick up a copy as they come in and leave, um, the reality that you see in the pulpit is very different than that. So there is no embodied... Um, there's no embodied biblical theology in the way people do things, so that the church has become largely embarrassed of the scriptures, and so they do things, as you said, David. They they unhitch the scriptures because now um, I don't have to be as embarrassed. And so what they're doing essentially is really nothing new. This is has happened uh, throughout the last uh, the 1920th century of German higher criticism, where mm-hmm. the church has become so embarrassed, and there was this division that Machen spoke of. The fundamentalists then, in one hand, they believe in that literal stuff, right? Six-day creation. And then the neo-evangelicals or the Bartians believe in something different, something more sophisticated. And I am calling for a return of uh, old-time Pauline religion. And that means we, we embody a courage of the scriptures, and we know exactly that God says, this is clean and this is unclean, and let that word be final. It's, it's really interesting that you tie in defending American Western civilization in with all three of those. Like that's so it seems like they're all connected in one sense. Not to defend it is almost in one sense giving up ground of that was taken by the church historically too, right? Is that what you're doing by with that? Yeah, yes, because the the church has has denied, rejected, been embarrassed of, of the normative nature of the scriptures. That the scriptures is the norm for all things. And where do you find the normativity of scriptures most clearly manifested outwardly, culturally, sociologically? You find it in politics, you find it in government, and you find it in the literature of Western civilization. Mm. And so at that point, it's very, it's a clear strategy that the, the unbelieving culture has taken, which is to address those things that most clearly exemplify the normativity of scriptures. And that's the beauty of Shakespeare the beauty of the American government, the Republican system, um, the, the beauty of, of Western literature, which is, which is very much dependent on the vocabulary and language of sacred scriptures. It, it builds its, its language from, derived from that. Would you, would you put monuments and, 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 and those things inside of Western civilization? Because I think that part of what people don't see in the battle is like... Like, like statues of statues Stonewall of, Jackson. Yeah, absolutely. That, like, would, that, would that fit inside of there too? Because it seems to be that that's leverage to get underneath because no one wants to defend a guy who, you know, has slaves, right? And right. so they use that as leverage so you don't defend that or you don't argue for the the need, um, the um, what's really trying to be represented, right? You're not trying to say, yes, let's have slavery where you're trying to represent something else, like, right? Right. Is that also happening? So it's like we've like, yeah, let's not defend that. Let's just let them take it down. I think so because the the nature of the Bible is that it presents a consistent symbol from beginning to end, and so therefore, Western civilization has built itself around symbols and imageries and statues and monuments and tangible things that represent what's good of it, and sometimes even what's bad in it. Right? Mm-hmm. Part of being part of being a Christian is, is acknowledging. Uh, the nature of total depravity and acknowledging the promise of a total redemption. And so when culture looks at that, 
And it sees Christians acknowledging both good and evil and saying, no, this is our history. What they want to do is only point out and observe the evil or whatever was wrong with it. And we are, we're perfectly comfortable in affirming these things. And so what they're going to do is they're going to say, we are not a symbolic civilization. Western mm. civilization was symbolic. We're not symbolic, but therefore we'll destroy all your symbols because your symbols represent who you are. So there's this distinct contradiction in the way they act, meaning that they are uniquely priestly as Christians are, but their priesthood is derived from the father of lies. So I, I wanted to actually follow up on that. I'm, I'm glad you brought that back up because I was going to ask you, you said there's an alternative priesthoods is what you're interested in, is sort of presenting and unfleshing this week. And I know this is a theme that you're interested in in general. Yeah. Um, give us, what do you mean by that example? I mean, we live... I mean, everybody knows, Yuri, we live in a secular state. Right. This, this, is, this is a secular, neutral. Have you ever, haven't you ever heard of the First Amendment? Right. Separation of church and state, right? So, so we're, we're the religious freaks. We're, right. we're the, the hard right, you know, re- religious right, whatever you want to call us. Um, they are the neutral secularists. They're, they're not religious. What do you mean by alternative priesthood? So the alternative Priesthood. When I when I speak of that, what I, what I mean entailing is that there's no there's no neutral religiosity. There's no neutral proposition. Right. And so, what they are describing, if you were to put it in a piece of paper, is an an antithetical liturgy. That if you were to put it, Christians have a liturgy. They have a way of being, a way of doing life, a um, a way of serving, a way of giving, a way of sacrificing a way of lifting offerings to the heavens. The unbelieving community is also a priesthood because they have a way of living. They have a set liturgy that they follow. They have an agenda. They have inscripturated authority that they, mm. they follow. It's inescapable. It's inescapable. Right, right. And, so, and so therefore, part of the Christian goal is to acknowledge that we have a priesthood, but that they also have alternative priesthoods led by false leaders with their false garments, with their false colors, right? With 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 a a false agenda, right? And so we, we're simply making that contrast very vivid in religious language, so we can echo the scriptural dimensions. Because in the Old Testament, what you see is that the priests were operating in a way that represented everything that God's people were. And so the mm-hmm. priest is embodied in garments and colors that represented the temple, the tabernacle, and the tent of meetings, because the place. And the priest were to represent the people. And so if you turn that to the secular world, there are places and people that rep- uh, places and priests that represent the people as well. So that that parallel is, is very, very clear. Right? Yeah, I, there's a reason for all the flags. There's a reason exactly. for all the parades. There's a reason for the spectacles. There's a reason why um, you have to. Ha- I mean, they're they're doing what they're doing in public because they they're 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 state they're saying something about what they want the people to be like. Right. They have their processionals and recessionals and their benedictions too. <laughs> the language is, is, is different, but they have that. And we've seen this, this very often. Right. In, um, well, in, give me one of their benedictions. Oh, that's interesting. Well, their benedictions would be granted by their false priests. It could be their their political leaders. And they, they're saying Inter- many They have their own doxology. They, really yeah, could, actually, it's funny. I, I was watching, uh, you know, I try, I try not. Like, the people are sharing all kinds of stuff. It's just junk. Uh, you know, I get kind of tired of watching. Like, I know they're doing perverse stuff. Stop showing it to me. <laughs> see? I see? I, I said that. I, I, I don't want to see it anymore. But I, I caught a glimpse of this one video clip. I don't remember where it was uh, recently on social media. But there was a one of these drag parade things yes. going yeah. on. And there's 
there's this guy in a pseudo priestly garment and somebody comes and kneels before him wow. and he puts his hands on her hit it. She, I don't know what <laughs> they were. Um, and set, and, and I, I didn't listen to it. So I don't know what they were saying, but yeah. it was a ben, it was a benediction. Yeah. It was, you know, it was bless me father for I have sinned. Yes. You know, kind of, kind of moment in the middle of a drag parade. Yeah. That's, that's insane. Yeah. There's a kneeling confessing of sins and, right, right. and that occurs. Yeah. Right. You know, whether we're confessing our whiteness Yes, or exactly. con- confessing our cisgenderedness, or you know whatever our our sins are, yeah, of 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 uh, you know heteronormativity or whatever, is, is you know, still sins there. Too. Yeah, you don't it, the, the those are the sins that you that you need to repent of. Uh, yeah, and they they want to relive um, Adam before the fall, and so they're very comfortable naked. Mm. Uh, there's no there's no attempt to to cover up anything, and so right. their nakedness is is a revelation that they want. An utopian world, and so therefore they want to be in a world where where animals are worshipped, right? You know, where animals are adored, where they can name and call and control everything. That's true. You know, it's funny as you're as you're talking about this, and the the more you get this, this is why it's really important to be engulfed in your Old Testament because one of the Moses, as he's uh, you know, the children of Israel coming out, and God is telling Moses, "Hey, you make sure that you build the tabernacle tabernacle exactly how you saw it here in heaven on earth, mm-hmm. because that's what's supposed to be." transactioning right from heaven on earth the models supposed to be made to look like heaven Mm -hmm. and so if that's the case and you have this priesthood everybody is bringing in some sort of heaven right right Right? some sort of alternative uh, ethereal world that's supposed to be imprinting itself on reality right um and if it's the pagans in their worldview they're going to have a different god they're going to bring a whole different type of world to reign on reality and that's where the conflict i never thought but they have their own leviticus they have their own right. laws there. They have their own exodus, right? They have their own uh, Ten Commandments. They have their own post-eschatology. Well, and this is why at the center of it is their blood sacrament of abortion. Mm. Right. So yeah. I mean, you, you, their ascension yeah. offering. It, it, it is. Their, it's, it's their blood sacrifice, and, um, and they've got to have it. They've got to have it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like visceral. It's um, a liturgy. And, um, mm. and it's because if you will not have the blood of Christ— um, then s- s- there's going to be, a, there's going to be blood. So, so, yeah, do, so and what you're talking about then, are you saying that the way that we have done, um, our Christian liturgy has been so weak and ineffective that it doesn't have any impact on the world. Ultimately, when you talk about priest, right. Is that what you're, is that part of what you're bringing? Yes. Up? That's very much part of what I'm saying. And, and part of my, the, the dynamic of, I think of the old Testament is that when God speaks of what ought to be involved in the worship of God's people is that there is a distinct incense that ought to flavor and aromize the the place of God, the holy place, and then there are and then there are incenses, smells that ought to remain in the outside. And so, what mm. what the unbelieving world does is they want to also provide um, an incense that's distinct to, to their world. And so, mm-hmm. every single unbelieving liturgy is going to function on the basis of blood. And so th- think of the unbelieving liturgy as a liturgy that has never progressed redemption, uh, redemptively. They've remained in blood. They've remained in cutting. They've remained in markings. Mm. They've remained in, 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 in failing to differentiate between clean and unclean. They've remained in the desert and they're content with that world. And so they're constantly attempting to move to something, but they're stuck in a blood sacrificial world. Their priesthood is constantly providing, you know, redemption for their sins, forgiveness for their sins. But the reality is that for them, there is no ultimate forgiveness 
but they continue to live in that cycle. I saw I saw a headline yesterday or the day before that it, I think it's in Ireland. Yeah, uh, the the country is either decided or is contemplating euthanizing about uh, I want to say like two hundred thousand cattle. Wow, perfectly healthy cows in order to meet their climate goals, climate change goals. Yeah, mm. <laughs> like that's like, like they're almost literally. Yeah. Offering sacrifices to God, <laughs> yeah, to, to, to the goddess, right? Like, 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 all, like, 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 if we do not meet this imaginary standard set by our high priestly yes. case of, of of scientists that yeah. say that cows apparently give off too much gas, <laughs> yeah, that harm our mother nature, yeah. we have to kill them. Yes, we mu- like we are almost literally back there. And these we, are we the are. same people who were just mocking. Remember those folks who used to dance outside for rain? <laughs> right? yeah, I know, they right? were mocking yeah. them, right. and here they are right. doing the same thing. And don't forget, these are the same folks that are that were telling us that if you didn't mask up and take the jab, yeah, that m- millions would die. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, like, like I mean, golly. Do you, um, go ahead. I Fa- don't Fauci re- is the, the the American representative of the priesthood, and and I think that was very clear uh, during the the COVID era. And so, the the failure that I've tried to point out in some of my writings of the American Evangelical Church is that they were very comfortable in giving over the keys that belong to them to the nice men in suit outside. Preach, and preach so, up. <laughs> Come on now. And so what what happened was that the the Evangelical Church. Uh, failed to believe that they were a royal priesthood. And mm. they thought there is another royal man seeking our allegiance. And as a way of appeasing them, as a way of entering to their liturgy or giving a little bit of our, our sacrifice unto them so we can find common ground, we found our man. We found our man. And Fauci became that kind of figure who was very much adored by many evangelicals, especially in the early days. Yeah. It's fallen a little bit out of popularity, obviously, but that's how it is. Priesthood come and go. When one priest loses popularity, the secular world is very clear to uh, place another one in this position and then adorn him with new garments. Wow. Um, real quick, got an ad to read and then want to talk to you for a couple more minutes. Um, discover why more than a million people use the free Olive Tree Bible app as their go-to for reading, studying, and listening to God's Word. Start by downloading one of many free Bibles and start taking notes, highlighting verses, and bookmarking your favorite passages today. You can read at your own pace or choose from a large selection of reading plans, including the Bible Reading Challenge that originated here in Moscow, Idaho. When you're ready, when you're ready, when you're ready to go deeper into your studies, Olive Tree is right there with a large selection of study Bibles, commentaries, and other helpful study resources available for purchase. There's also an extensive bookstore, which allows you to build your digital library one book at a time, and Olive Tree's Sync technology lets you pick up right where you left off, on your tablet, your PC, your phone, and get right back to studying on another supported device. Here's the best part. You can start with the Olive Tree Essentials Bundle for free. Olive Tree Essentials Bundle is yours for free. Just visit olivetree.com slash FLF and download it today did you say free yeah didn't. go wow. get it yeah. go get the app I mean, it's free people i mean come on i got william perkins on there just so ooh. everybody knows i'm yeah. reading him from there that's pretty awesome oh yeah. yeah how about yeah. that so uh, did you have a question because i i'm just going to turn the corner real just quick go go so uh christian nationalism <clears throat> <laughs> never heard of it <laughs> <laughs> well, do you think i was one thinking about this a little bit today do you think if COVID not had been what it was that christian nationalism wouldn't have exploded on the scene do you, or do you think it was coming anyway 
most likely wouldn't have had the level of popularity it has today. I think there, obviously there were works already tackling issues of Christian nationalism for, for some time ago. But I think what COVID did is it, it exacerbated, it, it accelerated people's thought process when it came to how do we project and offer something objective to a population that is losing control of their own senses, yeah. losing control of their own objectivity. objectivity yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what can we do to provide them a kind of holistic framework that'll give society coherence? I think Christian nationalism sort of jumped in and offered a level of coherence that people didn't have. I mean, before, before COVID there was, there was a, a, a sense of loyalty, a sense of, of patriotism, but COVID very much like nine 11, what happened right after nine 11 mm-hmm. um, provided people with a, with a sense of urgency. Like if we don't have some level of authority or something definitive to hold on to, then we're going to be thrown on by every wind of doctrine. Mm-hmm. So I really, I think, fill that void. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that I, I, I just keep look, I, I always go back to and think about yeah. is that the thing that the, the thing in COVID that happened for me, that was just this, like I, I uh, we were already throwing flares up, but I think the moment that it was like, like the lights were all on, was in the aftermath of the George Floyd death mm-hmm. and the, BL, really? the BLM marches. Because then it was, because then suddenly the contrast was, I mean, I, I already knew something weird was happening. Right. But then you now you have all these churches that are closed down and some of the very pastors of the churches that are insisting we must stay closed down are in the marches. That goes back to your point about right. the it's, priesthood. It's priesthood. Yeah. Right. It was, it was pre- priesthood it was, flipped. It, it was like, and, and, and the defense was, no, but this is important. Right. 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 Oh. Yeah, this so worship service this was worship, essential. Like, we have got, <laughs> this is essential. Yeah. This yeah. is essential. We've yeah. got to have this church service and that not so much. I mean, that was when, the, like, the boom lights came on for me. And, yeah. and, and it was like, and so, because, because, and here's the thing is, because the question was, so it's, it's, and you said this earlier, um, it's not whether, but which. Right. It's not whether you're going to have a religion. Mm-hmm. It's which. Mm-hmm. It's not whether there will be a God of the, of the square, of the public square. It's which God will be the pu- public square God. Um, and so it's, it's and, and what you had was in this moment with this crisis, everybody showed their hands. And the, and the, the, the media and the elites and the leadership says, said, no, no, this is important. They've, they have to have the right to protest because this is essential. This is sacred. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of Christians went right along with it. A bunch well, of pastors. And the other side of that is that while we're out here singing psalms, there was so much anger that we were, you know, opposed yeah. to. And not the same thing towards the the riots. It's like, well, you know, they need to. How could you imagine these are Christians out here yeah, right. uh, defying the government? Shame on them. Right. While the other side right. yeah. is. You got to understand. Right. You got to understand. And, and you know, and, and, the, and the lengths they went to to even defend violence and rioting. I mean, right. there's this rioting. These police stations are getting burned down. And of course, there's the one, you know, where the guy's like, it's mostly peaceful. And there's flames, <laughs> the you image, know, yeah. behind it going up in flames. And you're just thinking like, if like if that's not a false religion, I don't know what is. That's funny. I, that didn't. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're, no, I think that's that's a great point because I think um, the the polis of the priesthood, right? The, the city, the city itself was offered as a sacrifice for their gods, and so that's what they did. They offered they offered cities as sacrifices, and they said this place will be ours one way or another. Right. If it's not ours legally, we will sacrifice this. There will be blood. And yeah. there was plenty right. of blood, and, and, and there were and there were innocent people killed. There were police yes, officers were, that were right. killed. There were some, I mean, all, all kinds of things in the name of this 
holy rage. I mean, I mean, w- w- you know, there's a, um, it, it, there will be blood it is exactly right. Anyways, that, that was the thing for me in the, in the COVID moment that like, I mean, I, all these things were already happening. Um, but I think that became that I, I, I think, I wonder what you think, Yuri, but is, is, is that the thing that makes a bunch of people say, fine, if singing Psalms is going to get me arrested or if, you know, if having my church open is, is going to get me, um, you know, the, the, the term Christian nationalist, because you kept your, your church open. Right. It was like a bunch of people said, fine. Yeah. Fine. If that, that's, if that's what you, you think Christian nationalist means, um, uh, that the church has its own priesthood that is equal to, um, civil magistrates and other governments that God has established and has its own sphere of authority. Um, Fine. Yeah. So there was there was certainly a a, a fear. There was a, um, a I call it a linguistic fear among the evangelicals, because for the first time they were being called things that they didn't want to be called. For the first time, their allegiance was being tested. And I'm, I'm always reminded of the way um, Calvin dealt with some of this in, in Geneva in the 16th century. Is that even though there was a a steady flow of of refugees coming to Geneva, finding you know finding peace in 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 Geneva through its government, through its ecclesiology. Um, Calvin understood that these refugees were being accused of things where they're coming from, and Calvin said the church is a place for people who are being accused of things, and therefore the expectation of the modern evangelical world during COVID was to say we are comfortable not being accused of anything. But the very definition of the devil is that he's an accuser by nature. So there was a flaw, hmm. a fundamental flaw in grasping the reality that we are going to be linguistically accused, and that is part of our identity. And so that, that was the danger. And so as a result, even now, so the, the, if you hmm. ask 10 people what Christian nationalism is, there will be 10 probably That's definitions, right? right? That's right. Uh, but at this point right now, what it does reflect is the kind of people who love their country a lot and want to love the traditional things. And so as a result, that has become our four-letter word. And Christians are very quickly saying, no, no, you know, not me. I'm not with him. Right. I'm not. And the question is that they're, they're so comfortable removing themselves from any kind of allegiance that they will deny that three or 300 times. Mm. Okay. So then, okay. So do you like the term? Are you, would you, would you, do you are you, would you consider yourself Christian nationalist? How, cause I don't know. I don't know what, where you stand on that. I know. All the players involved, I, I love every one of them. I've had a chance to spend time with them. I offered the invocation for the, um, the National Conservative Conference in Miami a few months okay. ago. Yeah. And so I know the players. I know Yoram Hazoni. I know Stephen Wolf. I have a great— You dropped that down there. <laughs> <laughs> you dropped those. <laughs> on the group. I see you. I have a great respect and, and love for what they're trying to do. And I think, they're, I, I think what's happening is there are perspectives in how we restore society. Uh-huh. Pastor Wilson offers Christendom. Other folks offer Christian nationalism. What I want to see is I want to see all these groups offering unique perspectives to it come together and say, the war is much greater, and these conversations need to continue to happen. These players need to be in the same room so that we realize that there's there's a strategy, and what you have is different perspectives, but the agenda is very similar. Someone might go through a, a, a Thomist route. Others might go through a more Biblicist route. Others might go through a Kyperian route. At the end of the day, we are the people who are not embarrassed of accusations, and therefore we need to band together. Do you? 
I, I agree with you. It just seems that it's really hard to get people who don't want to identify as Christian nationalists to come to the table and have a conversation. And I've seen this before um, with, you know, there's been, you know, uh, you watch the whole thing that happened with Webin and G3. Like, I still am waiting to see a show where all three of them can sit down together and have this conversation publicly. But having people come to the table and say, okay, then how do we, how do we, I mean, let's have a church council. Let's talk about what it looks like for Christians to engage in politics. What does that even look like? It's hard to get those people to come to the table be uh, and the, from the other side, I see Christian nationals all the time who want to have that conversation. But it reminds me the fight of theonomy. It's so funny to me. I keep saying this, and I wish I just want somebody to hear me out. But I remember it's it, not going to work. It's, okay, I'm trying. Earlier that, you know, I'll, I'll be your confessional booth. Go ahead. Okay, thank you, Pastor. Uh, 2010s. Um, you know, I was in. The, nobody wanted to have the conversation of theonomy. Everybody was opposed to it. Not having the only behind closed doors. We'll poke it in public, and then we'll go away. As soon as COVID came, the everybody became a theonomist, and I was like. Wow. Wow. So well, actually it was before COVID, the social justice movement forced everybody into a theonomic position. Right. All of a sudden they said, we have to have a biblical answer for how we do civil policies. Right. And this was surprising because I would have thought they would have had one a long time <laughs> teaching ethics. You know? <laughs> but come to find out whatever ethics they weren't teaching weren't actually biblical. Right. And so, but what they did was they took all the anonymous and they pushed them over here in the corner and said, we never have to deal with them. We never have to talk about them. We don't have to worry about their worldview and the implications of it. Social justice movement comes in and they open up the door and say, what were you guys saying about that law again? <laughs> all yep. right. Thank you. And then they closed the door back and they started using yep. all the talking points. Yeah. Okay. And, and they, and the, so everybody's statement on social justice, every, I mean, you look at them, they're all theonomic. But they didn't want to have the conversation right. 15, 20 years ago. I think what's unique in this situation here is that when we look at when we look at COVID, it's remarkable to to consider the fact that the hero of COVID in some ways for the evangelical church was John MacArthur, a dispensationalist who 15, <laughs> 20 years ago was specifically saying Christians ought to stay away from cultural and political engagement. Right. But you can only say that in a land that's protected from political tyranny. Right. When the false priesthood strike, suddenly you're saying, you know, it, it's really unique that the Torah had some interesting things to say about all these issues here. <laughs> and so, <laughs> right. Oh, but that's man. what I mean. But I, imagine how much further along we would have been right. and churches would have been if we said, hey, let's have a council on this or let's get together and have the conversation together somehow. Not like uh, we don't want to have that conversation with you guys and close the door. Then when COVID would have came in, everybody would have had a position on whether or not we should have our churches open. Right. right. But because John MacArthur's church had to wait a couple weeks to figure it out and get together with their elders because we didn't have the conversation 20 years ago around the issue. I mean, this is not a this has been going on since the late 80s, actually before then. And so and now all of a sudden it's applicable in a way that it wasn't before. And I feel like with Christian nationalism, which is my point here, because we're not actually coming together, we're writing articles from one side, throwing salt on the other. We're like, hey, why don't you come and sit down and let's have a conversation? There's a fear there that if if I lose a point, therefore, then I have to become a Christian nationalist. Or what about how about we come together and work through our doctrine like we have throughout church history and say, brother, that's a good point. Let's work through that. But that would assume... Knox, that all we're talking about is Christian nationalism. I, but yeah, well, well, there goes that. <laughs> there goes. No, you're right. I mean, I, you, I, you're I right. Think, I think that's the answer. I think the answer is that I think there there are exceptions. There are exceptions. Honest disagreement. 
where it was just straight. Sure. It's just straight up honest disagreement. I don't see that in the text. And let's, and, and I think those are the people that would be willing to talk, but I think the, the real problem, I don't know what you see, Yuri, but I think the real problem is, is you got, there's way more going on. I think there's turf wars going on. I know. I, I think I know. there's, I, I think there's envy and I think there's covetousness. I know. And I think there's ambition and I think there's flesh and I think there's a bunch of that stuff still going on. And I think God is in his kindness is weeding a bunch of that out yeah. by putting us in trenches together. But, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, unlikely like, trenches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's like, I mean, it's like, it's, it's, but that's the difference. I think the, there's a, there's, there's honest disagreement, honest debate, and those are the kinds of people that are willing to get together and talk. I always tell my kids, you know, a spanking does make you repent of sin, but you don't always have to have a spanking. That's right. <laughs> no, <laughs> you no. don't always have to have yeah. it. Anyway, I was going to let you answer that. No, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to plug in the, our lovely congregation in Porto Alegre, Brazil, that we planted um, seven years ago, who were in many ways heroic. When we think of the things that happened in California, in contrast to what happened in that state, southern Brazil, I mean, California pales in comparison to the mm-hmm. level of overreach that the government had. They were going to people's homes and arresting them. If they had their businesses open and their churches open, our little congregation, the Church of Christ in Porto Alegre, Brazil, uh, remained open through the whole season. I dare say that I think they were the only church open in the entire state. Mm. And these guys embodied the true priesthood. They understood that their role of a royal priesthood doesn't take a break, doesn't pause from doing what they're called to do. And I think that that's fundamental is that when you begin to, um, when you begin to breathe that sort of heavenly air about what is the kingdom of God and how does it manifest its blueprint on earth, then it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. That theology is going to come out one way or another. And it has come out very clearly in those guys. I'm very, um, very proud of the congregation and what the past, pastor Evandru has done over there. And um, I'm, 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 I think my, the most, I have been more hopeful in these last couple of years than I have been a long time because I think I've seen what, what you're trying to say is that in the past, you wouldn't see Presbyterians and Pentecostals getting together. Right. right. I, like the, I like the union. I ain't going to lie. I like the union. <laughs> and I think what's happening right now is they're, they're seeing. They're seeing precisely what Ephesians 6 says. They're seeing that there, there are principalities and powers, that there are dark spiritual forces mm. And that the church at this point right now is in a position to respond forcefully and courageously. And so these alliances happen. But again, these alliances need to happen on the basis of the normativity of scriptures. Any other foundation yeah. is sinking sand. So Amen. Uh, last word here, and, and I'll let you go. But as you're looking towards the future, I, I was telling you earlier, I think that we need a COVID 2.0. I don't think we got all the cancer out with COVID 1.0. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't, I don't want to see a COVID 2.0. Co- I ain't going to let We need more COVID chemo. <laughs> yeah, we, yes, we do. COVID chemo. COVID chemo. Um, but what should pastors be, what should be at the forefront of pastors' mind right now, post COVID, potentially going into whatever the future holds over the next 10 years, as you see things, what needs to be at the forefront of the pastor's mind and how they need to be discipling their congregations? Every good and healthy priesthood historically has functioned through their music, has functioned through the way they, they worship God of their songs. Again, back to the conversation about, about language. If we forsake the language that God has given us, then we are functioning on the basis of false languages mm. that come through the lips of false priests. And so this is, is a, a stress that I make very often is that we need to we need to put men in a position where they're comfortable singing God's words, and the reason it requires a certain level of um, uh, a little extra push 
is because evangelicals are very uncomfortable with the language of imprecation. But the way the church will move forward is truly by cursing through God's word, by cursing those who oppose God's plans. And the way that happens is through faithful singing. When singing becomes fundamental in a community, then a community is led by a different language. Uh, Augustine said that when you, when you sing, you pray twice. And so what the church is doing is they're offering double prayers when they lift their songs to God. And so this is only one element, but I think it's an element that is often misunderstood and not given enough priority because everyone in the world has a distinct musicology. They have a distinct hymnody. They have because they have a distinct priesthood. And so they're offering their hymns, and the evangelical church has become very comfortable offering something similar to false hymns mm-hmm. because they're afraid of embracing the language of the scriptures, specifically the language of the Psalms. And so I think a restoration of the Psalter to the evangelical church, specifically through the lips of men as they lead and guide their families and their communities, is going to be, at the very least, the beginning of a fruitful conversation. That's good. Sing Psalms. And you heard it here. The pastor says, we need more cursing. <laughs> pastor, thank you so much for it's coming. Absolute delight, you, David, yeah. Toby. Thank you very Always much. Always great to have you. Yeah, if you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. And sing some psalms. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You need to learn Do some that. Things. Do that. I hope my son is gay. And I hope that Jesus forgives him just like he does the rest of us. Doug Wilson, Moscow minister and columnist with the Idahonian Daily News. The question that confronts us is what does it mean in a disobedient culture to be prophetic? There will be a place for same-sex couples? Uh, No, no marriage. Even though it's the law of the land in the United States? Uh, Just like Roe used to be. We want to turn the world upside down, and you don't turn the world upside down by being nice. I believe that we are in, in this polytheistic, pluralistic moment, and the desperate need of the hour is for our Christian leadership to say, Jesus is Lord, and there is no other. Fear no man.